honest and open question. Finding the heart we have lost. You are listening to the This Is Not Church podcast. Here is John and Nat Turney. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Today we have with us Jason Elam. Jason Elam is Brandy's grateful husband, the proud dad of four awesome kids, a former professional wrestler and radio broadcaster, and a former local church pastor for over 20 years. He is the author of the forthcoming book, From Ashes We Rise, and hosts the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can connect with Jason on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. So welcome, uh, Jason, to the podcast. Uh, How are you doing today, Jason? I'm doing well, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited that you guys are launching this podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's definitely a learning curve for both Nat and me. Uh, we we recorded our first our introduction. You're our first guest, um, so yeah, uh, you get you get to be in at the ground floor as we try to learn how to do this and make ourselves <laughs> sound somewhat professional to the world. Um, uh, <laughs> Um, well, I am happy to be the guinea pig so that Brad Jerzak can have a stellar experience. Oh, is that what we're doing? Oh, okay. Uh, I, I do want to, I, I, I was thinking about this. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I, I do want to start out this podcast by uh, just letting Jason know from me to, to Jason um, how much you have meant to me and my journey over the last year or so, actually even a little bit longer, um, other than my brother and my family. Jason, you have been probably the most solid rock person in my life that has helped me um, reconnect to some kind of faith. You know, I'm still in the process of trying to figure out what that is. I don't, I can honestly and truthfully say that if it wasn't for you and my family, um, the blog post I wrote over the last year would not have happened. Um, your input, your oh, insight, your, um, your just your willingness to be there when I have the hard questions or the concerns or the, should I even do this anymore? Um, I just want you to know how much I appreciate your heart and uh, uh, how much, how much it has meant to me over the last year or so. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that. And uh, I want to get that out of the way because uh, um, I don't want to, I don't want to start tearing up, but I'm almost there. So let's, let's just, let's just leave it at that. And I'm just really grateful for everything you've been for me in over the last year. So thank you. Man, I, I, I appreciate you saying that, but the feeling's entirely mutual. I mean, we're friends, we're brothers, and uh, I'm just grateful for you and your work. And I'm looking forward to great things, even more great things from you in the future, brother. Well, thank you. And uh, from my perspective over here um, in Texas, man, I got to know you first and foremost um, when you were when you were still pastoring your church in Alabama yep. and um, began supporting you there when... Um, when I saw, when I saw what I thought what you were doing was super courageous and I know it didn't, um, probably didn't turn out the way that you had envisioned or the way that you had planned it. Um, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit on this episode here, but, um, but man, just the, for lack of a better word, the, the, the cojones to, um, to step out and do something radically different, um, was inspiring. You're honestly, you were a big reason for even, um, for, for the, the church plant that we did. Uh, cause I did see that there were people out there who were envisioning church differently. And, uh, man, that gives well, me a what lot I, of what I think is cool. What's an honor for me, Nat, is to be able to screw it up so badly 
that it dies and run it completely <laughs> into the ground so that you don't have to make the same mistakes that I did. Well, that's that. Okay. <laughs> I, I bet if we, I bet if we performed an autopsy on your church, the failings, uh, I bet, I bet you didn't drive that thing into the ground. But, well, but I appreciate I do, saying that. That's real. That's really kind of you, but well, I, I'm excited I, about what you guys are doing. You guys are doing it way better than I've ever done it. Well, we'll see about that. We'll see. But yeah, I'm with John, man. I, I admire the heck out of you. Um, I respect you. I appreciate your willingness to jump in and, um, and, and help us as well and, and stuff that we want to do. So yeah, um, we'll just turn this into a big Jason Elam love fest and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tell, you know, all four or five of our listeners how much we love you, man. You're awesome. Well, I love you guys too. And uh, there's nothing like a Jason Elam love fest to let everybody know right out of the gate that you both have issues. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. First of all, yes, we do have issues. Um, um, yeah, I got. I have no clever retort to that, other than to say that yeah, you're right. True statement. Well, yeah. well, well, well said, sir. Well said. We do have issues. Um, so, John, you got. You want to start out with the first question for our friend here? Well, I mean, I, I did have a first question, but you kind of it kind of was uh, a, uh, answered in your bio. But I am still going to kind of ask it. I mean, you you say in your bio that you were in ministry for 20 years. Um, uh, instead of asking you how long you were in ministry, I would I would ask um, you know. In those 20 years and at the end of those 20 years, um, kind of what made you decide that maybe this wasn't um, where you where you wanted to go anymore or 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 maybe you wanted to, but it just wasn't going to work out anymore? You know, I think for me, um, there was so much ego tied up in ministry for me that it just became an unhealthy thing for me to continue to do the way that I had been doing it. And, um, you know, I started off in ministry um, getting some sense of significance met. And that's a bad motivation for ministry. Um, mm -hmm. You like the sound of your own voice or you just really want people to listen when you talk. And so, you know, you get a high off of that. And, you know, I started off as a youth minister became an associate pastor and then a, a senior pastor for a number of years. And it's, it's absolutely addictive. And um, so I just, there were, there were things working against um, the ministry that, that I was setting out to do in that um, on one side, I was really enjoying the significance that comes with having a captive audience every week and uh, making decisions that affect, you know, several people. Um, but I didn't believe in so much of what I had started out to do by the end that I just didn't feel like I could continue to do it and do it honestly. Um, now, I'm not saying that I'll never be a part of a, a, a local church or a leadership team or anything like that again, but I definitely don't believe in local church leadership the way I did when I started off 25 years ago. Hey, that's, that's a really excellent point, man. I'd, um, um, from my perspective, um, that's, that's been my biggest challenge, Jason, is um, reimagining what church structure looks like, what, because um, a lot of what John and I talked about in our first little introductory episode was um, issues that we've had with church over the years. And I, if I had to say, if I had to lay it all at the feet of one thing, I would say it's the exercise of, of a certain kind of authority within the church. Right. that then crowds out questions 
right? Because yeah. the, the man of God is not to be questioned. Right. And so um, do you see, do you see potentially the church might be needing to reform um, the role of that person, of that individual, or if there even needs to be that role at all? Well, you know, years ago, there was a book that was released called um, Why Christianity Must Change or Die. And I heard that book title uh, and I got offended uh, because I really thought that, you know, the version of church that we were doing 15, 20 years ago was the version handed down from Jesus to us. And, you know, we were doing it exactly like Jesus did it. The problem is um, what we do on Sunday mornings doesn't look anything like anything Jesus had anything to do with. And so I just could not reconcile um, maintaining, and, you know, forgive me, I know this can be an offensive loaded term. I couldn't reconcile sustaining the Sunday morning show that mm-hmm. actually cost intimacy in the community because you're just putting your best foot forward on Sunday morning. You know, the, the talented people are up front and everybody else is just basking in their glory. And so right. I just, I just knew that if I was going to be a part of ministry in the future, it had to look different than that. We were going to, we need to sit down around tables together where nobody's at the head of the table, but Jesus. And uh, we're all learning from Jesus. And so I think it is possible that if you get a group of people together that are hungry for, uh, to experience a real um, following Jesus experience together, I think that can happen, but I haven't seen it yet personally. Amen. Amen. I hear you. Yeah. So uh, in your... In your experience, then, um, what would church look like? I mean, I, throw away the models of the past. You know, is does church look more, uh, more just like community that's organic and grows, and more like family, or rather than something more, you know more or less structured? Well, what's your take on that? Well, I hope this isn't the Baptist in me speaking, but I think there's got to be food. I think. Amen. Um, I think shared meals are a real key. I think it's a great equalizer, right? We all sit around the table and we're breaking bread together because, you know, you're going to you're going to burp. You're going to need to go to the bathroom. It humanizes you to share these things together, to sit around the table. People relax. You you don't get this um, Sunday morning mask when you're sitting around the table, you know, at a Mexican restaurant or maybe even better in somebody's home where you're just hanging out and you're shooting the breeze and nobody has to put on a mask and pretend to be anything that they're not. I think that is church uh, in a greater way than anything that we do inside, you know, the sacred four walls on Sunday morning where we sing a few songs and then listen to someone else tell us what God has to say. Around a table and around a shared meal, we can have an experience where we all learn from each other or learn from God through each other in a way that makes us all better. Amen. I love that. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I, I'll turn it to you, John. Yeah, what do you I got, really, man? Um, I, I, well, I was just going to say, I really resonate with uh, what you were saying uh, a few minutes ago about um, kind of the high you get from, you got from preaching and it was like an ego thing. Um, I, you know, as I took on the, the role of uh, worship pastor at the church I, I was at most recently, um, and it's, you know, it, it doesn't sound good looking back at it, but, you know, you, you set up your songs in a specific order, right? And you, you definitely add that song that's going to really tug at everybody's heart. And um, you get to that point where 
you almost feel like you 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 did something wrong if you if you can't make your congregation cheer up and uh and make them like look deep into their soul into their heart into uh, whatever's going on in them and you get you do you get this high from this idea that you know i i was able to manipulate the situation and bring out this kind of feeling in everybody and um it was something that i had to look at myself and say okay this 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 is about this is, i made this about me and not about god and not about you know what what we're trying to do here as a, as a community um so I, I i guess the question i have is it kind of it kind of dovetails into the name of our of our podcast is this is not church uh jason i was like when when you hear a phrase like this is not church i mean what does that bring to mind to you i mean does it bring to, to mind things that we need to fix things that are not are not fixable uh, what is it what what is it what does it resonate with you well i think a couple of things now there's part of me that hears this is not church and kind of bristles up because uh for so long when i was doing like a more organic church type ministry folks in a more traditional setting would say well that's not church because it doesn't have a membership role because you're not taking an offering because you don't have a platform because you're not you know you're not only letting people with degrees answer questions um things like that but i think the the way you guys intend this is not church is to say this is a safe place because for so many of us church proved not to be um and what you just touched on john is such so important because that's where I realized that I couldn't continue to do it with a clear conscience anymore is when I realized that if I would just pray a certain prayer or say a certain thing or read a certain passage at the end of my talk, that I was going to get a better response. And when you start pushing other people's buttons and manipulating them to get a response out of them, then, oh man, you're headed for trouble. And I just couldn't do that anymore. Now, I'm not saying that every preacher does that because I know a lot of preachers who have very great hearts. I mean, I think you guys have great hearts and and I, I wouldn't second guess any of your motives for a second or people like you're going to be talking to on the podcast, Brad Jerzak and others. I love those guys and I have a lot of respect for them. I mean, I tear up every time I hear William Paul Young speak, but um, mm, I just I know that my motives as a very young man getting into ministry weren't good. And so if I can sit around a table uh, in an open exchange of ideas where we're all talking about not just our faith and our confidence and our certainty, but our questions and our doubts and how today we didn't feel blessed. And today we felt like life sucked. And today we wondered if God was real or if he has any thought of us at all, if he cares anything about us. If we can talk about those kind of things, man, I'm all, all, all for ministry. If it can be like that, yeah, I'm with you, man. I um, do you know? Do you know Caleb Miller? Or do you um, know I've him? read a book by him. I don't know him. Okay, uh, it 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 brought to mind. I thought I think of Caleb anytime someone talks about um, what I would call the intoxication of the stage, and what Caleb yeah. would also call something similar. Um, and the first time I heard him talk about that, I got mad um, because <laughs> I was on the stage and I right, was yeah, because he was right. <laughs> There's no intoxicating it. What are you talking? And then I'm like, oh, I'm mad because damn it, you're right. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, there is an intoxication. I think there's a reason that Jesus says, "Let no man call you rabbi." Yep. You know, um, it, it call no man you teacher. Up. Yeah. You know, call no man teacher. Call no man rabbi. Um, because there's this sense in which we 
we begin to place our identity in how other people see us rather than um, any other any other reality. But part of my deconstructive process, and I know that um, I'm still using that word, even though I know it's fallen out of favor because it's been overused and misused and hijacked and whatever. Uh, I still can't right. think of a better word um, to describe There's what I've been one. through in the last yeah. 10 years, which is the only other word I've used besides deconstruction is demolition. Um, and, you know, yeah. planned yeah. intentional demolition at that. But um, one of the things that I deconstructed, we talked about this, at, we've done it, we're in a series actually in church called Deconstruction and um, deconstructing faith, you know, and one of those things that you touched on just a minute ago was this idea um, of, of, of people telling us that we could somehow, um, we could somehow leverage our faith into getting God to act, you know, um, yeah. rather than it be a, a more organic sense of where we belong in the grand scheme of things. But um, I had a question along those lines for you. Um, I'm just curious what, what's been your, maybe your biggest piece of deconstruction, if, if you still even, you know, relate or resonate with that term at all. Yeah, I do use that term because I can't, like you said, I can't think of another one that fits. Um, uh, my friend David Norling on Facebook today uh, asked, you know, could we consider reimagining instead of deconstruction? Um, I, I think that's a great term. Reimagining is fantastic. I think we need to reimagine church. We need to reimagine faith, probably need to reimagine God um, and uh, the you know good and evil and all those things. But for me, deconstruction just makes the most sense because that's what happened to me. I, I right. did not see it as... Um, you know, just rethinking things. It was more the house burned down around me. It right. was just gone. And so now there needs to be some rebuilding. And, you know, the foundation, I I would have walked, I'll be honest with you, I, I would have absolutely walked away from Jesus, but he wouldn't leave. Amen. He just wouldn't Amen. go anywhere. And I mean, it's every time I tried to open myself up to, well, you know, maybe Jesus was just a good teacher. Uh, you know, he, he just followed me around and he reminds me that he's there and he reminds me that he loves me. And he reminds me that that uh, he is the picture of God's love for me. And so, um, you know, I, I, I was open to deconstructing absolutely everything all the way down to the floor. But Jesus wouldn't yeah, leave. So now I'm going to rebuild some things around that. That's amazing. Yeah, we I've been. uh <laughs> it's really funny you say it like that because um, what I what I said in church yesterday was because um, my deconstruction. I, I always like to ask this of people too: was it was it was it intentional or did stuff just come to a head? You know, where you decided like, or you know, maybe it was decided for you. This just isn't working anymore. But also, I'll give my answer. But I'm, I'm curious about your answer. I told them, um, man, I took a I took a blowtorch to the whole thing <laughs> and a sledgehammer. And some dynamite, and I dared God to show up in the rubble. Yeah, and I was honestly, if I'm being really honest with you, I'm, I, if if He didn't, I think I would have been okay. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. okay, I, 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 the cognitive dissonance was too painful. Right. Um, I would have rather Him not be there at all um, than to continue being there in the way that I had imagined Him. And so yeah. my deconstructive process was a hundred percent. Okay, that's not right. That's not right. Ninety percent intentional. I think. I think it started out as an impulse, just because things got out of control. But mm -hmm. then, like you, I kind of went, okay, well, let's just go all the way with it and see what <laughs> see what's left standing. But I'm curious yeah. if that was if that's a similar experience for you. No, mine was kind of the opposite experience. I did not feel like I was in control of mine at all. It felt like it was happening to me, uh, not mm -hmm. happening at my own hand. Uh, I remember very specifically, and I've talked about this lots of times, so I'll, I'll you know try to do this pretty quickly, but. 
um, I was I was pastoring a church in the buckle of the Bible Belt. All right, uh, I was a ordained Southern Baptist in near Birmingham, Alabama, in the middle of the countryside. Uh, very highly addicted, low educated community that I was serving, and you know the the standard uh, line in our churches was, you know, the Bible says it and that settles it, you know, and we never questioned what, what the writer of the scripture meant. We never questioned how the Bible was put together. It was as if God sat down one day and wrote a book and handed it personally to each of us. And that was God's word to us. And as if there were no changes between the old Testament and the new, as if there was no contradiction in any way, and that was the faith that I preached, and that was the faith that I believed in for so long. Um, but then things started to happen. You know, um, uh, folks in the community would get really ex- upset about cultural issues, like you know the LGBTQ community, um, and whether or not they could be Christians or would welcome in the church. Or and, and you know, for a while, I did really good to just say, well, all sinners are welcome. You know. Um, but then by the end, you know, I, I literally got on the track at the gym where I would work out a few times a week, listening to Jonathan Martin and Brad Jerzak talking mm. on a podcast. Uh, they were actually at the first Water to Wine conference, so they were at Brian Zahn's house recording this interview. And I heard them talk about the love of God. And something happened while I was walking the track and the love of God stopped being a concept and became a real active force in my life. And that white hot love of God burned the house down that I believed Mm. in. Because when I got on the track, I was sure a lot of people were headed for hell in eternity. That at the end of this life, there was the judgment. And God was going to hold everybody accountable. And a lot of people were going to burn and they were going to be sorry. They didn't listen to preachers like me uh, who, who warned them. When I got on the track, that's what I believed in. And when I got off the track that day, I knew that the love of God that I had experienced for myself was not rejecting anybody and mm-hmm. make room for everyone. And so if, if I gave voice to that, which I did that night in a small group at our church. If I gave voice to that, I was going to lose people. I, right. I was going to have to answer some really hard questions, uh, but I had a choice. You know, is this about follow? Is this about amassing a crowd? Is this about building a brand or building a church, or is this about transparency? Is this about following Jesus? Because you can't follow Jesus with the mask on. And so yeah. uh, I knew that I had to be honest about it. I spoke up in that small group and the, the very closest people to my wife and I in the church said, we can't do this anymore because, you know, mm-hmm. homosexuality is a sin and those people are going to hell and they need to, they need to hear that. And if you don't believe that anymore, we can't walk with you anymore. And it hurt. Those people were like second parents to us. Um, and, and the church began to disintegrate at that point because, you know, everybody is looking for certainty. And, and so many of us who join churches, uh, I'm kind of rambling now, but so many of us who join churches, it's because we're looking for somebody who's confident in what they believe so that we can feel confident believing that too. Right, and uh, exactly. when you start questioning things that we've all been so sure about, I mean, for 20 something years, I was often wrong, but never in doubt. I had no doubt that what I believed was the truth. The problem is it wasn't. 
Right. And so uh, when you start talking about that, people lose confidence in you. People aren't comfortable with questions. People aren't comfortable with the uh, the insecurity that comes with saying, I don't know as an answer in church. Um, but that was the only answer I had at that point. And so I, I had had this encounter with the love of God and it, it kind of deconstructed me. Uh, it wasn't mm. something I went looking for. I really kind of put it off for as long as I could. Uh, that's that's interesting because uh yeah that's so weird because and that's why I still like this term you know and I'm not going to allow it to be taken from me just yet uh, maybe a better one will come along eventually but um, because it, uh, the experience of it is so different you know um, I had a conversation yeah. with a friend who's a pastor and I was asking questions as I am wont to do and um, this guy who I love very much and who you know has a great heart for God and. You know, but but every everything that I brought up, um, the the response was, oh, uh, you know, I, I guess I hadn't thought about that before. And I'm thinking, why, why, why haven't yeah. you thought about this before? This should yeah. be, you know, when it, it was every, it ran the gamut. It got it got to be the, the point where it was so cliche that we would meet, you know, on on a fairly regular basis. And his his routine question for me was, okay, well, you know, what wh- what's on your mind today? You know, what are we, what are we deconstructing now? Or what are you reading? Tell me. And it was, it was, you know, all in, it was, it, I think it was well-intentioned, but this was a person who, you know, had his belief system fairly hardwired and mapped out and questioning any of that threatened to pull the rug out from under him on multiple levels. And so mm. he, he just wouldn't allow himself to go there. And so my process was, more deliberate than it sounds right. like yours was. I still think we, I still think most of us are pushed to a point, you know, yeah. where it's deconstruct yeah. or, you know, either I told my, I told my church, I was either going to, I was either going to become the most arrogant cocksure jackass on the planet, or I was just going to walk away from the faith altogether. It was going to be one of those two extremes. Um, and so yeah. Um, yeah. like you, I walked, I really did walk away from the whole thing. And, um, but Jesus wouldn't go anywhere. So yep. I, how you've said that is how I've said it a bunch of times. Like I just, like just Jesus would not, Jesus wouldn't do me the, the service of leaving. So here yeah. we go. And now I got right. to yeah. in with, right. with Jesus. And we had, anyway, so I, I, it's a beautiful thing, man. Um, uh, John has his own, his own version of this. I, you know, I'm sure he, 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 he'd share, but um, I don't want to hijack the conversation. What do you got, John? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll add my two cents on this idea of deconstruction. I mean, uh, the first thing you got to realize about where I came from is um, my deconstruction, if you want to call it that, uh, there was no word for it when, when I was doing this. Uh, when I left the church, say 1988, 1989, um, I, was, I felt this, this force that told me that if this place couldn't answer my questions or wasn't willing to answer my questions that this place wasn't for me. And so I left the church completely left the faith, left everything Mm -hmm. behind and um, went through, I guess, I guess what we'd call a deconstruction outside of the faith, which was, I, I, I can't say I, that it's normal or not. I don't, I don't know. Um, But to go through a deconstruction of who God is, who God was to me, who the divine is outside of the Christian faith, um, I think gave me a, a unique experience, a unique perspective. Um, I, you know, I traveled through um, all, all types of religious connections to find something. And um, 
it wasn't until about, I guess, about seven years ago that I felt myself being drawn back into, I, I guess, what we would call a Christian faith. Um, I, I know that this is, this is another hot topic is, um, you know, to call yourself a Christian or not call yourself a Christian, depending on how you, how you feel you fit within that faith. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't have a word for what I was doing. There was no idea of deconstruction. There was no, um, there was no word for it. So, um, I'm looking back at it now and going, yeah, okay, that's what I was doing. And I, and, uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, um, it was, it was thrust on, thrust upon me, but at the same time, I, I actively chose to do it and, um, just, yeah, demolished everything down to nothing. Um, and then I kind of rebuilt from there. Um, I don't know if I can say that I felt that Jesus was there with me the whole time. Um, I know that there was some kind of connection to a faith, but I, I, I don't know if I can say that I, that, um, he was, I mean, obviously he was there. I think he was there, but I just, I didn't have that connection for quite a while. Um, but that's, that's my two cents on, on the deconstruction. I think deconstruction is an apropos way of saying it. It's the right way of saying it. Um, I, I understand that people are kind of overusing it or feel like it's being overused, but I, I just can't come up with a better, a better term to acknowledge or say what it is. Um, so that's the, that's my two cents to the, to the deconstruction story. Um, I, I've, I've also kind of talked about my deconstruction story a bit, so I don't want to just take up all of our time with going to, into depth about that. But, um, I guess the question I would have kind of, you know, dovetailing on that is, I mean, what, what is a, what is a, what do, Jason, what do you think a pastor's role is in, in this new kind of where we're moving in this kind of this, for like Nat was saying like this, you know, we're, this continual reformation of church. Um, is there, is there a role for a pastor in this, in this new idea of church or um, is, is maybe a leadership type role kind of, almost moot now. I mean, what, what, what are your opinions on that? Well, I think that we have to be very careful. Um, I don't think it should ever be any one person on their own. Um, I think that destroys men and women. It destroys their families and will eventually destroy a church. Uh, how many times have we seen a church that was built, a brand that was built all around one person, and then that person makes some colossal mistake and the whole thing falls apart? Uh, it happens all the time, but it should have never been built around them to begin with. It, it's got to be shared leadership. It's got to be. And um, I think a pastor, you know, or, or an elder or bishop, whatever you want to call the title, I don't know. Uh, uh, I prefer, you know, servant leadership, I guess, but I, I really don't. I'm not sure how I feel about Christian leadership in general or church leadership at all right now. Um, but I think if there's a role, in kind of leading people towards the love and grace of God. It's just teaching people to hear the voice of God for themselves, not through us, not through our writings or our favorite commentaries and, and not just through the Bible, but teaching them how to recognize how God speaks to them, how they can hear God's words of love and life in there to some people. God speaks through music. So, through some people, uh, to some people, God speaks through dreams. To others, God speaks through books or, uh, you know, conversation with a friend. Um, and and I don't think the terminology terminology matters as much as I always thought it did when I was younger. Um, one of my best friends in the world is Carl Forehand, who I think both of you guys probably know pretty well. Um, oh, yeah. 
I love Carl. Carl's yeah. one of my best friends in the world, other than my wife. And um, Carl says that would tell you today that he does not consider himself to be a Christian. Now I do, but we have so much in common. And so those old labels don't mean as much as they used to. When the agenda isn't winning you over to my side, when it's not about amassing a following or, you know, spreading the truth, when it, when it's just about loving relationships, it's about us loving each other. Um, if there is a God, and I think there is, then the best way that we can worship God is to love the people that are all around us. And so if that's going to be my focus, I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or not. I don't care if you ever come to my church or, or a part of my tribe, because every tribe matters. Every tribe is deeply loved. And um, so in my mind, uh, those things aren't as important as they used to be. Um, but if there's a role for somebody to be, you know, kind of a, a mediator in the group, um, I think it would just be about, you know, reminding every single person in the group that they can hear God for themselves and know how loved they are directly and not through a mediator like me. Amen. No, I, that's, yeah. that's good stuff, man. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, good I stuff. really appreciate uh, um, what, you know, what Keith Giles has brought to my my understanding of this idea of, of, a, of a house church or a home church. And one of the things that I think he kind of really hammers home kind of quite a bit when he talks about this idea of a house church is that there is no leadership. Uh, there is no agenda. There is no plan. There is no, mm-hmm. um, there is no, um, uh, I'm lack, I'm trying to think of the right word, but I mean, basically what, what they do is they come together as a community uh, and it's organic and it moves however it needs to move. And it doesn't require someone to have a lesson plan. It doesn't require anyone to have written a sermon. And I think that's, that's, that's vital in this, in where, where church is going. And I think, you know, for good or for bad, I think um, this pandemic has really, really shown us the underbelly of some churches. And uh, unfortunately, I think some people are, are waking up to the idea that church hasn't been for them. It's been about for financial gain, about like, like you were saying, Jason, about the popularity of a single person. And that's something that um, I, I just see that we're going to have to move away from. And, you know, I, I don't want to say that COVID is a blessing because I don't, I don't really think it is, but I think if we want to find the silver lining in this pandemic is that it has shown us some issues in the church that we need to address. Um, and um, it brings up the question for me, um, and it kind of dovetails with the name of our, of our podcast, you know, this is not church is uh what, what do you feel that the church has done wrong and what do you think they need to do to potentially correct some of the things that they've done wrong? Well, you know, I try not to, I try not to focus so much on what other people are doing wrong, you know, because that was my focus for 20 something years. Uh, I was the evangelist that your pastor would bring in if you were asking too many questions or getting out of line or questioning his authority. And I would come in and just beat the hell out of you with the Bible. Um, scripture refers to itself in one spot as, uh, or as to the word of God as a sword of the spirit. But in my hand, it was a bludgeoning instrument. I mean, I would just beat the hell out of you until you all came running to the altar at the end and got back under the pastor's authority. 
Um, and so because that was my focus for so long, I don't like to, you know, sit and, and kind of pass judgment on what others are doing right or wrong. And I know your, your intent in asking that question was pure. I'm not questioning that at all. It's just not a place that I can go right now. Um, I know that I did it wrong. I know that to me, ministry was an addiction. I know that it took me to a very unhealthy place. But here's, here's the measure of a church um, uh, where I am right now. If you strip away all the manipulation we were talking about earlier, if you take away the Sunday morning showcase of your most talented members, what's left? If you strip all that away, if you take away the budget, if you take away the impressive building, what's left? If there's something left, then there might be something real to build on. That's the thing that excites me about what Nat and his group are doing, because I, I kind of think, you know, there, there's a lot of people who are raised in the Bible Belt who they think church looks a certain way. And so they're not going to feel comfortable walking into a house church setting. They're not going to feel comfortable going into a, a living room where, you know, they are expected to be part of an active conversation. And so I, I think of what Nat's doing and what so many others are starting to do around the world, really, um, is kind of a halfway house from where we've been to where we need to go. And I'm really encouraged by that because I see Nat's heart and the heart of so many like him who really just want something real, who want something transparent. They're not trying to gather a following for themselves, but they are kind of following a uh, a model that looks familiar to people because people are scared to death without the model. And so I think there are some people like Nat and others who can do that and do it honestly with transparency and, and no ego. Um, I just, I, because it was such an addiction to me, for me, it's like an alcoholic who goes back to the bottle, um, who thinks they can have a sip every once in a while. And so I just don't need to go there. I don't need to be on a platform. I don't need anybody looking at me thinking that I am, um, have all the answers because God knows I don't. Right. And it's, it's like you're living inside my head, Jason. It really is. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> as you were, as, as you were talking and, um, I was having an internal monologue with myself, you know, cause, um, I'm thinking about what I'm going to ask you next. And what I'm thinking to myself is exactly what you just said. That's weird. <laughs> um, which was, you know, I think church looks differently and it has to be, flexible enough to meet people where they are, you yeah. know? And so whether it's, you know, I, I can't, I can't in West Texas in the buckle of the Bible belt as well. Um, I can't, um, I can't expect people to deviate, you know, so far as to walk away completely from, from, from their notion of church. And what you just said is interesting because we've talked about this um, as a board, uh, our churches, we've, well, should we just go purely to an online presence and we keep coming away going, I just don't think the people in our neck of the woods are, are going to buy into it just yet. Um, right. And so, um, and so we've kind of wrapped our head around um, being less concerned with what the, what the mechanics of everything look like and making sure that, um, that what we're doing, like you said, if you strip it all away, if you strip away the, you know, the music and the, the meeting place and the, it, it, we find that we have nothing else. You know, and too many churches I've been involved in, when she stripped those things away, there really isn't anything else. You know, uh, it was 99% about what happened on Sunday morning and, you know, an occasional tip of the hat to something outside the four walls. And so our focus has been from the start that we want to be more about what happens outside the building than what happens inside of it. Um, 
but we also want to facilitate that place where where people can come and be safe and be transparent. So, man, that's awesome that you. I don't know, man. I love you, Jason. You're always in. Feel like you and I are, are in sync. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I love that. That makes me feel better about myself if I get to share some thoughts with you. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, what has the church done wrong? Um, well, when I when I was running it, <laughs> um, we were traumatizing people. We were using fear to teach people that God was not pleased with them so that they would respond and, and, you know, so they would read the Bible more or pray more. And they thought their relationship with God was solely based on their performance because that's what I taught them because that's what I believed about me. And so I don't know what everybody else is doing right or wrong. I I tend to want to think that everybody else is doing exactly what they should be doing uh, because it's not healthy for me to sit in judgment, you know, just in my heart. But, um, for me, that's what that's where I got off track, teaching people to hear God right, through me right. so that I could manipulate them. And I never thought I was manipulating them, but that's exactly what I was doing. And far too often, if you strip the money away, strip the building away, strip the membership away, strip that manipulation away, there was nothing left, which told me there was nothing there to begin with. Yeah. And too often I've had these conversations with 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 leaders of churches. Um, and if you really if you drill down. And if, and if you get them to be honest with you for a moment, um, they employ the methods that they do because they're afraid. You know, there's yep. just so much at stake. Um, it, it, that makes me nervous for any part of my livelihood to be wrapped up in what happens or doesn't happen inside of a church. You know, because yeah. I, I have too many, too many conversations with too many leaders who are constrained in what they will and won't say. Um, and they'll never admit it, but the truth is there's a guy sitting on the left-hand side of the church in the third row who gives an awful lot of money, and you don't want to piss that guy off. Right. Yeah. Because so, you know the minute that he leaves, it's over. Yeah, yeah. The minute that guy takes his funding away, and so you either, you know, I don't know, we, you either you either just don't talk about certain things or, you know, in the in the in the – you know, in the more egregious sense, you, you you actually champion their thoughts and ideas, and you and you you know you suck up to them a little bit. But um, I know right. one of the reasons that you talked about getting away from church um, when you and I talked last time uh, was sort of the same reason I started a church was so I could feel less constrained to say things that I thought were true, <laughs> but that I was also yeah. convinced would piss some people off. Um, is that is that still true? Do you still feel like 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 the podcast allows you to express some points of view that? That would probably get you, you know, in trouble in church. <laughs> yeah, the churches that I've been that I've uh, led in the past, definitely. Um, yeah, I I don't feel filtered anymore because I've just decided that if I'm going to if if I'm going to exist in this world, I've got to be who I am. And so, a podcast where I have to pretend to have an opinion that I don't have or hold back an opinion that I do have isn't worth having to me. And so I love the fact that with podcasting, you can you can say controversial things. And, you know, the people who um, are open to that will listen and the people who won't won't. Um, But, you know, we can we can talk about these things and have real conversations. My favorite thing about having a podcast is just it gives you an excuse to talk to people like Brad Jerzak and and uh, some of the folks that you guys are going to be talking to soon. Paul Young. I mean, Paul Young and I had a conversation uh, a year ago. And we're both crying by the end of it. Um, tears yeah, are something both. I fought back for my entire 
uh, ministry and church, you know, I, I would start to tear up, you know, where, where it would elicit the right response, but just openly falling apart was to be avoided, right? Because it sent the message of instability. Well, now I just kind of embrace my instability. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can, if you can talk to Paul Young and not cry, then there's something going on with your heart, man. Yeah, uh, there's something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> something has died inside. I pull up and I go, oh my God, you're so right. Um, it's just such a, but you know, I was telling John the other day that um, one, one, of, one, of the, one of my favorite things about guys like Brad, and I'll put you in this category as well, um, oh. is that you have, a, you have a way of dealing with controversial topics gently, not dogmatically. And so a guy like Brad can stand in, you know, I, I went to see him in Houston a couple of years ago when he spoke at a friend's church and um, he's saying stuff that would get me in trouble, but he's just so damn nice about it. Right. You know what I mean? Like he just, yeah. it's kind of like listening to Baxter Kruger, you know, who's just got, yeah. man, he's just got that aw shucks, you know, thing going, you know, that Mississippi drawl and, and, but he's saying stuff that's edgy, man. And it's, and it's, and it's right. And it's timely. But they have a way of, of of delivering that in a in an inoffensive way, you know. I'm always taken aback when when people attack Brad online. I'm like, you don't know this guy. If you did, you would never say those things to him, right? Because he's just the nicest person you ever yep, want to meet. That's right. And uh, so, I, I feel like that. Brad Jerzak is one of the kindest human beings uh, that exists in the world, and that kindness, that genuine compassion, is disarming. It helps us yeah. lay down our, our defenses and it opens us up. I mean, his book, um, A More Christlike God, um, mm-hmm. just absolutely opened the door. For, yeah, for because he's because the compassion comes through in his writing, you know, um, yeah. his book, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. I mean, he's literally so saying the hell we've all believed in our whole lives doesn't exist because God's not like that. And it's an affront to his character for us to believe in that. But he says mm-hmm. it dripping with kindness and love and concern. And so we're like, okay, I can go there with him. Yeah. Somebody like me There's comes a, in and I'm going to blow your doors off and say you're wrong. Yeah, no, <laughs> don't sell yourself short, man. There's a, there's a, there's a page in that it, I read a more Christ like God. I've read it a bunch. Um, but there's one, there's one section I have dog-eared and underlined and I literally have probably read it 20, 30 times. Um, and it's the, it's the, it's where he's having a conversation with a young girl at this youth event that he was hosting or, or, or teaching at. And he didn't have time to walk her through all the, remember, you remember what I'm talking about? Didn't have, he's like, I didn't have time to walk her through yeah. all the theology, but I needed to, I needed to connect with her. And so he starts, she starts talking about her grandmother who died and she's worried that she's in hell. And, and he just walks her through this so kindly and with such compassion. And, and I'm just, I, I tear up, I'm tearing up now thinking about it. I tear up every time I read it and I, I read it as a, I refreshes my soul. You know what I mean? And, um, and so there's absolutely the realization that I guess, I guess that's, that's where I'm driving at is the realization that God is better than we'd ever, than we ever hoped or thought or dreamed. Um, and that, that's that's what gets us in trouble with most people is believing that God is better than we'd ever hoped or dreamed or thought. Um, it is, yeah. I guess, I guess I'm learning yes. to be okay with that, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure why that just comes up in my mind, but it, it does every once in a while. But Well, you know, years ago, Brennan Manning was pointing us towards this God who was better than we think. 
He talked mm, about the Emmanuel. God of most Christians is too small for me. And, um, you know, Brennan Manning, uh, who I, I just love, I mean, he's probably still to this day my favorite author to read. Uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel planted seeds for grace that later people like Jerzak and Paul Young and others, uh, Sarah Bessie, Rachel Held Evans, would come along and, and harvest, you know. But Brennan Manning was there mm-hmm. in the beginning speaking those words of affirmation and life to my cold, cynical, legalistic heart. And there was just something about his frailty, something about his humility that let me hear it from him and not defend myself against his doctrine. And so that made room in my life. And so maybe if there's a lesson for that, for me, it's maybe we should, you know, give everybody a break. Maybe we should (laughs) understand that everybody's fighting a battle that we don't know anything about. Maybe we'd make room for people where they are and just focus on loving them the way we believe God does and being that tangible evidence of the love of God for everybody in every situation. And I mean, that's obviously easier said than done. But somebody like Brennan did that through tears. You know, they, Brennan, his final book right before, uh, you know, he worked on it with John Blaze before he died, All His Grace is the name of it. And uh, Mm -hmm. where he admits, you know, the whole time he was flying all around the country, all around the world, even speaking at these major conferences to thousands of people and writing these best selling Christian books that were being recommended by all the top Christian music stars of the day, uh, he was an alcoholic. And he was struggling. Right. And he would go straight from the Christian conference to the bar and uh, get wasted. And his wife begged him not to go to the bar. Come home. Don't go to the bar from the airport. Come home and see me. And he'd go to the bar. And eventually she left him over it. And his transparency through all that made it even more believable to me that there was a God who loved screwed up people. Because... Brennan, who who I had confidence had experienced that love of God for himself, even though at that time I had never, but he had experienced it, but he was as screwed up as any of us. And the fact that he was willing to say that was so healing for me. And so again, maybe the lesson in that is maybe our transparency can help other people find healing as well. But church, at least in my ministry upbringing, was all about hiding the broken things and keeping up a front so that people could have confidence that you had all the answers. And the reality is I just don't. Right. No. And it's a, it, it perpetuates a sickness, you know, that's, I guess that's probably another thing that I really appreciate about Paul Young is, is how transparent he is about his own shortcomings and failings. And, um, you know, you can't help but root for a guy like that. That's right. Who's willing to say, listen, I, I, I'm a screw up. I'm as big a screw up as anybody else, but, but in the midst of all of that, I have experienced the love of God this way, you know, and so it, I guess that's, I think John and I would both draw inspiration from that. Wouldn't you say, John, that, that we want to be transparent, that we want to be honest with folks? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I definitely uh, resonate with all these people. Brennan Manning um, was, is, is was and will always probably be a huge influence in what I what I see as my connection to God and how God communicates with everybody. Um, uh, Paul Young, I, I've had the pleasure of seeing him, you know, in person, uh, and 
all I can say about him is he is honestly the same exact guy in person as you hear on podcasts, as you read in his books. That is him. Um, and I love it. I love him for it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just want us to be able to use this platform a lot. Like, I mean, Jason, I, I, we, I can't speak for now. I'm going to speak for me for a second, but I mean, obviously your, your podcast is definitely a, um, a launching point for me as to how to do this. Um, your, your willingness to listen to people, your willingness to um, be open and honest and transparent with your questions and which allows your guests to come on and be open and honest or transparent. And that's, that's my heart. And that's what I hope that Nat and I can do also um, it, moving forward. Um, and obviously um, you being our first guest was uh, very intentional. Um, um, I, I think Nat agrees with me as well. Don't you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate that guys. You guys are awesome. And, um, I'm so excited about all the episodes to come. I almost feel like I could quit doing my podcast now because y'all are ready to take the reins. Well, don't don't get crazy now. Come on. I've got an idea. Let's just change the messy conversations group on Facebook to the this is not church group. And y'all can just take over my podcast feed because you're going to be talking to all the people I like talking to anyway. <laughs> so I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, I can pop onto your show every once in a while. <laughs> I'll tell you what, once you listen, listen to this back and see if that, if that holds up and be like, well, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> we got we to step up our game to get to your level, man. So, uh, no, brother, my level is so far beneath where you guys are starting. I'm just grateful to be here. Oh, come on, man. Well, we're just standing on the shoulders, man. So, hey, um, tell me something real quick. I know you, I know you didn't come on here, um, specifically to promote anything, but you do have a book coming out. I'd like to hear about it. Well, you know, originally this book was kind of my deconstruction story from ashes. We rise, but it, it, the, the, I think the subtitle now is going to be things I thought about when I thought we were all going to die. Um, because I've, I've been rethinking it all in light of the COVID experience that we've all just been through, through the pandemic um, of the last year. Um, I actually, my daughter got COVID, my wife got COVID, and I had COVID. And I, I ended up in the hospital. Doctors tell me I had a blood clot going through my heart. Um, I thought I was going to die. And so every day now is grace. And every day that I get up and, and get to go to bed again with my wife that night and wake up and hug and kiss my children, uh, every day is grace. Um, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to get through COVID, and so many people didn't. Um, but I think the world has changed in some pretty profound ways. The only thing that I can compare it to is September 11th. You know, um, People who lived through the, kid, the Kennedy assassination, they think of their life before the Kennedy assassination and their life after. September 11th is, you know, is this a September 10th world or a September 12th world? And I think COVID is going to be the same way. Um, and so I think a lot of people have, as John said earlier, uh, they realize that when all the church trappings got taken away, when the building, you couldn't go to the building anymore, when it wasn't about that Sunday morning show, when it wasn't about the budget, when all of that dried up, was there anything left? And so people are looking for something real. 
And so I'm hoping that the book will be an honest testament of something real that I've encountered and something real that's available to every single human that walks the face of the earth. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it for sure. Um, I'm well, sure I just hope it actually gets done one day because I've been working on it for about half my life and I'm never happy with it. So there's that ego again. <laughs> well, you know, you get, it's, it's like writing sermons, isn't it? At some point you just yes, have to preach right. it. Whether it's Eventually not, you just man, have to just, go. Yeah. I, I, Brian Zahn has a book he put out years ago that I think he stopped releasing. Uh, I mean, he might have eventually rewritten it, but he, he said sort of the same thing. He's like, OK, I just had to let I had to release this book. And then, you know, 20 years later, he's like, oh, I can't believe I wrote that book. (laughs) (laughs) Some of these things have this, you'd be like Dr. Seuss and want to go, man, I want to go back and redraw that picture. Could I maybe just take that, you know, one or two offensive lines out and we'd be all right. But um, I don't know. Brad Jersey has a book I'd like to ask him about too. That's one of his first ones. I want to see if he still, if he still loves it. But um, man, I don't know. At some point, just just put it out, brother. Yeah. Well, I, I will. My wife's going to push me until I do it. I know she will. We'll get there. Well, you're farther down the road than I am. I've been talking about writing a book for half my life, and I've never actually put pen to paper. So here we go. <laughs> You'll get there too. Uh, we'll see. I'm not sure the world needs another book for me or a book for me at all. But um, I but think I we do. I appreciate it. Did you have any other questions, John? I, I, I feel like I've talked more than I intended to. Uh, no, I, um, I don't want to take up too much more of Jason's time. So, um, I just, in, you know, just, just as we end this here, uh, I just want to, you know, again, thank you so much for being willing to come on to such a new podcast that may or may not even make it. We'll see how we do. Um, but, um, as, as we end this, I just, um, just want to give you the opportunity to let people know how to connect with you. If, if, um, if that is something you want, um, I mean, I, I find you pretty easy to connect with on, on social media, but um, h- how would people connect with you? Uh, best way is just go to messyspirituality.org. You can find my Pathios column, <laughs> as rare as those get posted. Uh, you can find them there. New podcast episodes drop there as well, and all the social media is there. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, and Patreon. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I try to be pretty approachable um, on all those, all those channels. I, I, I really enjoy them. There was a time when Facebook, you know, Facebook is kind of a zoo, um, but oh, it seems weird. like this year, maybe, maybe post pandemic, things seem to be better on Facebook for me anyway. And so I'm enjoying it more than I used to. I had to leave for a few months just to kind of clear my head, but um, maybe I've just got my uh, friends list down to a controllable size. I don't know. Yeah, that might, yeah I, think that, I think that's key as well. Yeah, I think we've all done that over the last uh, few months. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we will definitely link to all of your um, all your all your social media um, in our notes. Uh, I would really uh, um, really like to have you back when your book is published and out. Um, so hopefully, we can make that happen sometime soon. Um, but again. Um, just, I'd love uh, to. And I, I just want to say that I, uh, I really believe in what you guys are doing. I love your hearts. I'm grateful for you. And I know this podcast is going to be a huge success, whatever that looks like. Uh, and for you guys, um, but it's going to be good because your hearts are good. And because you guys have, have encountered the love of God for yourselves and, uh, you've laid down certainty and it's humility and transparency that people are drawn to. And so people are going to be drawn to listen to this podcast because of that. And I'm a big believer in both of you guys. And therefore I'm a supporter of this podcast and I hope everybody will keep listening 
for those really good conversations that are coming up in the weeks ahead. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you, man. Love you, Jason. Love you guys so much. Thanks so much. It's been an honor. You bet. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Same. Thank you.